0: The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and
1: all things violent. hey what is going on everyone thank you so much for joining me today on vicious whispers with mark tullius today we have episode 74 at the end of the episode we have chapter 23 of ain't no messiah only one left after this Um, so after next week's episode we will go ahead and switch gears a little bit jump back into some horror crime suspense all that good stuff with some untold mayhem In fact, to kick that off, we are going to be joined by Dina Eager from Books Yada Yada. Um, I didn't know Dina up until a week ago. I think when I put out my newsletter, um, I asked a question saying, Hey, here's a little bit about myself. If you guys have questions, go ahead and ask. Uh, She replied. She asked me if I was from the East Coast. Uh, We had a little conversation. Um, She had already listened to Untold Mayhem. That was, I think, her first experience with my writing and it was kind of cool because she not only does she like it and leave a review on i believe goodreads or netgalley um, she also mentioned that one of her favorite stories was news first which if you remember from last week i was talking about the reviewer that you know said she loved all the other stories but she absolutely hated that story and almost had to stop the audiobook because of it Uh, so it's very interesting to see what people's takes are which stories people like which ones they don't Um, but what was extra cool was Dina then, uh, she has on Books Yada Yada on YouTube if you Google that you'll find her um, she does reviews and the other day she included a review of Untold Mayhem along with uh, Jonathan Mayberry's Inc. and The Passenger by Lisa Lutz, I guess is her name um, and so that was cool, uh, it was really nice to see that and uh, yeah, anytime, and I think that's what um, I think that's what most most authors are looking for they they want to connect with readers they want to connect with other people they want to know what works what doesn't Um, and so that's why i will be having her on the podcast uh, in two weeks and so we can kind of go into that Um, because although i've mentioned it many times that i'm sorry i don't write for anyone Uh, i'm never going to change a story because i think that's what readers would like i'm not going to you know there's so much advice out there like oh well write what the readers want I'm like oh, fuck them uh, i'm gonna write what i want and then it will slowly develop uh you know i'll find the people that like my stuff um right now it is difficult to look at untold mayhem because there are some great reviews those are awesome but then there's all the other reviews saying oh these stories sucked and that story sucked and uh, you know the whole thing was terrible so there's a lot of different types of opinions so now my job is to not change how I'm writing it is to find the right readers it's to find the people that relate to my writing Um, a lot of positive reviews have come from people that also enjoy Stephen King Stephen King definitely had a huge impact on my writing. Um, There's lots of people that say King is trash. Uh, A lot of people say, you know, they don't like this or that about him. Whatever. Um, He's definitely, I think he's a master. Um, And so I'm always proud or honored whenever anyone mentions my name alongside his, saying, you know, uh, someone recently put in a review that uh, my work would make him proud, King proud. So I was like, that was such a cool thing to hear so yeah so that's kind of what I'm looking for now is to find out okay who are my readers so what else do you guys read what else do you listen to what you know are you into a certain kind of music I, I'm trying to figure out um, you know why in the world anyone would want to read my stuff uh, and again that goes with low self esteem that goes with the imposter syndrome that goes with the, you know all that stuff so if you would do me a favor i would love to hear from you guys uh send me a quick email at mark at mark dot com tell me a little bit about yourself and uh why you're listening or why you're reading or you know if there's a certain book of mine that you liked or what your favorite short story was or what your worst short story was uh you know uh whatever so i uh, yeah always looking to connect to people um So, look forward to that podcast in two weeks. And then, if you have been listening this whole time and you've been enjoying Ain't No Messiah, you definitely don't want to miss the conclusion next week. All right, what else is going on? Um, Today was the first day of school for my son, and he wasn't excited about it doing the distance learning, but it worked out kind of well because I was able to sit right next to him. He had his headphones on for most of the class. So I was able to input death scenes for Try Not To Die In The Pandemic while he's doing his cute little pictures of narwhals and stuff like that. Um, The Try Not To Die In The pandemic's death scenes are fucking brutal. Man. Um, Yeah, I actually made myself sick the other day. Uh, Part of it was I was driving in the backseat of the car. The other part was I was pretty fucking high. Um but the i think what it, but i was also trying to work on this death scene where uh the main character gets a meat hook on the side of his spine and underneath his spine and then they hoist him up and so i'm trying to picture anytime i'm writing a death scene i got to like put myself in that position like oh my you know what what would this really feel like what is going on in the brain what is going on in the body um and I've been doing a lot of that uh the other uh one of the ones this morning I was writing about um someone getting their head the main character getting his head pushed into uh the, the industrial fryer you know making where they're doing french fries and everything else and so his head is shoved into that uh you know what does that feel like um a lot of very disturbing scenes in this one um I'm waiting to hear well I haven't given them to John yet uh Part of it is probably a little nervous about how he might take them, whether or not they're too brutal. But I'll also tell him, like, hey, man, if it needs to be toned down, let's tone it down. We don't need to show everything. We It's still brutal no matter what. Uh, but the thing I like about this is having the, I don't know, lots of the scenes are kind of touching because... This main character is trying to keep this girl, Amy, alive. And so there might be some scenes where he sacrifices himself for her. Or where he tries to sacrifice himself for her. Or where he's got to hurt her in order to save her. and uh, So it's definitely not an easy book. Um, What's really cool is... Uh, we just, I wasn't sure how we were going to end this. I told John, I said, hey man, I know this is not a happy ending. When he first gave me this book, the way he wrote it was with a happy ending. And it was pretty lighthearted. It was still very, very brutal, very dark. But it had a happy ending. And I was like, man, I, was like, I just can't see this hap- having a happy ending. So I just gave him like a, a bullshit little idea of how it might end. But then he came back uh, with an excellent ending. And so we're going to run with that. And it leads directly into another book. Uh, so there is a very good chance we will have Try Not to Die. Who knows what it'll be called um, in the apocalypse? Not sure. But it's going to be when this pandemic gets worse and these kids go on to land. So that he will, right now he's working on Try Not to Die. We don't have a name yet, but it's a, a Western a cowboy novella. Um, and as soon as he's done with that, he's going to jump on the Apocalypse One, although I was telling him I won't be able to get to that for a while just because, man, I've got so much stuff ahead of me. Um, In fact, I'm not even actively looking for trying not to die authors anymore just because I have so many in the works, Um, but as soon as I finish up this, uh, still got to do some stuff for Beyond Brightside before I send that out to advanced readers. Got to clean up Pandemic, and then as soon as that happens, I'll be jumping on Try Not to Die Super High, which Steve Montgomery has done a fantastic job with. That's going to be a really quick book for me because I've been helping Steve a little bit here and there, but he just understands my style and uh, he's doing an excellent job. That book is going to be brutal, uh, so I can't wait for that. That won't be released until probably early next year. Um, and then I also have my friend Sage, he's doing the Try Not to Die in the Wizard's Tower uh that's like a Dungeons and dragons one that's going to be awesome that'll be out next year again that's one where i'm going to have to do very little work because sage is an excellent writer i mean him and tom spambauer they were my mentors mentors so um yeah there's going to be very little that i'm going to be adding to that book other than my format um i do want to get back into tales of the blessed and broken and continue the story of the messiah although like i mentioned before um He is not in book two. So, and who knows if he's even alive at the end of this book. Um, So I don't want to give anything away. But that's what is up. Uh, As far as anything else, uh, I've been doing a little bit of reading this week. Um, I've been staying away from nonfiction. I I did so much of that. I feel kind of bad. I've been putting my whole brain book, traumatic brain injury book, on hold. Um, I'm in a good place, and I just... Don't feel like getting into that right now. So uh, I mentioned last week I read Carrie. This week I've been working on Salem's Lot. Not reading it as much because I've been spending more time doing other things. Uh, but it's interesting so far. Uh, I've forgotten most of the story. But reading it definitely uh, makes me remember a lot. And also makes me... It was making me think how much I enjoy... Just the number of characters that King puts into his novels. How we get these glimpses into their lives. And so far, I think uh, i enjoy these characters a lot more in Salem's Lot than in Carrie. In Carrie, he does an awesome, awesome job of portraying Carrie. And uh, maybe a couple of the other characters. Um, But then there's other characters like Sue Snell and other people that I just don't really know much about or don't care about. Uh, but in this one, uh, it's cool getting these little glimpses into all these different lives. So I'm still not hundred percent sure if I am going to go through all of his books. Um, maybe I'll just go over ones that I want because honestly, life is short. And do I want to reread books uh, that I've already read, or should I be reading like really good books that have just come out? You know, so it's hard to know. You'll with such limited timing mean, there's only so many things you can do you're never going to read every book uh, especially at the way uh, at the rate that I read but it is what it is um, uh, the last thing I think of is uh, my weight and I'm thinking of that because I haven't eaten today uh, I've been doing a lot of fasts. Um, sometimes they're only 14 hours sometimes 16 generally they're about 20. Uh, Today is going to be a 23 hour fast, Um, still feeling pretty good. I plateaued, uh, I dropped. So I started this challenge to lose weight uh, total of, I think, let's see. I started at 228 on July 4th, Um, right now at 212. I need to drop another 7 by the 19th or I lose my bet and then I have to give up cannabis for a month and that would fucking suck. So, I'm trying really hard to not have that happen. Um, I'm feeling so much better at this weight, Like so I think my new weight right now is 212. Uh, That's the lightest I've been since high school pretty much, except for like one or two competitions where I've dropped down to that for a fight. Um, So even if I stayed at this weight, I'd be okay, but I really do want to win this bet um, and make 205 my new weight. I don't need to be this heavy, uh, and I'm only going to be healthier because of dropping the extra weight. So, that is it. Um, It's been a long day recording this late. Not sure if I'm going to put this out today or tomorrow. Um, But, I hope you guys enjoy this story. Uh, Chapter 23, narrated by Rick Cheddar. And, stick around for next week's exciting conclusion. Had a lot of fun with this ending Uh, I hope you guys will dig it as well. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you next week. Peace. Chapter 23
0: All of Father's Town Cars were upgraded after the shooting at President Burkhart's inauguration. Now our only means of travel was in full-size SUVs. Same bulletproof windows, airless tires, and armored frames, nearly thick as a tank's. The glaring difference was that they'd turn around the second row of seats so the bodyguard could always face me. Of course, I never told him out loud, but Troy reminded me of one of those green army men forever locked in the same position. His body just as stiff, his face giving nothing away. His nose had been broken, there were a couple of scars on his forehead— And his cold eyes said he'd taken lives and wouldn't hesitate to take more. And he still looked like a fucking model compared to me. Father liked to say Troy was part of our family, but even though I spent more time with him than anyone else, I barely knew a thing about him. Troy never talked about the war and I never asked. He never spoke about the rest of his life either. Every conversation, never adding a word, but always listening. I still felt guilty for when Troy got reprimanded by father... But I needed him to break the rules once again. When Greg pulled up to the gated community's godhouse and rolled down the window to give my name, I asked Troy, Do you believe I'm the Messiah? It was the first time I'd ever asked him or any of the other gods. I assumed most of them thought it was bullshit and just considered it a job. So I was fairly shocked when Troy said, well, Of course I do. You're his second son. Really? Oh, yeah. Every day I protect you is an honor. Greg rolled up his window and drove past the raised gate. In case he was eavesdropping, I kept my voice low. Then you don't think it might be a good idea to listen to me instead of father? Last time, last time was unlucky. This time he's not here. I nodded toward Greg and said, and he'll go along with whatever you tell him. What do you want? Just stay in the car. No one knows we're here. We're fine. Greg turned down the last street and parked in front of Jeremy's house almost two years since the one time I'd visited. I patted the forty caliber Glock holstered on my hip. I can handle myself from here to there, but if it makes you feel better, you can walk me to the front door. Troy, who had taught me how to shoot, opened the door, made a show of looking up and down the deserted street before stepping aside. Not a word to your father. I darted to the door and rang the doorbell. Didn't recognize the older guy in black fatigues who answered it. In the same no-nonsense tone Troy had, the guy asked my name and I gave it. He told me to turn around for a pat-down and I asked if he was serious. Sorry, pal. Cost of the ride. I told him about the gun. He removed it from my holster and set it inside a black lockbox. I didn't care for the fondling, but appreciated his precaution. Jamie walked down the hallway, looking about the same, a little heavier around the waist. And your electronics, too. I pulled out my phone, thought about how we talked a couple of times, all but the last call coming from him. Him saying sorry. Him saying that he missed us. Him begging for forgiveness. For us to let him see Lily. I said, you don't trust me? Dude, you work for the church. He had a point. I would put the phone beside my gun. Hank, you got any idea who this is? Hank locked the box and handed me the key. Speaking to Jeremy, he said, Your two o'clock meeting, Joshua Campbell. True, but he's also the most famous motherfucker in the world right now, he turned to me and said. You just passed one billion followers. I thought we were still in third. Well, nothing like the worst catastrophe ever to bring in the sheep, but don't get too cocky. The only thing the chick two spots behind you accomplished is sucking the right singer's dick. Hank excused himself, took my box to his desk with the large computer monitor. The screen was broken down into 16 sections, capturing what must have been the entire inside and outside of the house. I nodded toward the surveillance. When did all this start? When the person wanting me dead became president. Burkhart. Jamie's eyes asked if I was really that stupid. He was trashed that night, but he remembered who he'd been with. He knows it was me that took the photos. He saw them. Why else would I have taken them? Father said it was just in case. Jeremy brought his hand up to my repaired cheek, and I flinched away. He stopped and said sorry. I did a great job, can't I? I nodded, thinking he'd just touched the bullet groove. Instead, Jeremy took the tip of his finger and ran it from the start beside my eyes to the end an inch behind my ear. He gave the edge a few flicks and said in his sexiest voice, "'Ooh, baby, you feel nice.' I slapped his hand away, laughed, as I called him an asshole." I can't believe they put it on every channel, the first live television execution in nearly a hundred years, and I expected to see you in the front row cheering to Charles. I was still in the hospital. Turned it off when the nurse put it on. Well, they sure showed that fucker and the rest of the world what happens when you mess with the Messiah. Doesn't help Dwight any. Jeremy got serious. Sorry, man. Just trying to make light of some heavy shit. Talk about close calls. It can't get much closer. I don't know is how it's all gone my whole life I shouldn't even be here he knew I wasn't talking about this house well I'm glad you are you were the one who said my niece deserved a daddy I wasn't going to bring it up but there was no way to keep it in I managed to keep my voice playful and said yeah and then you decided to show the world my cock Jeremy looked all out of apologies a sheepish grin on his face like he couldn't help himself either he spread his fingers about four inches apart and said, True, but not all of it. You know what, dude? I don't even care about that shit anymore. I was sure the assassination attempts were part of the reason I had moved on, but I was overholding grudges. I got why he did what he did, how he lashed out at his loved ones when he was hurt. But I left all that unsaid and told him, But I do need to talk with you. Shoot! I nodded at Hank, who was watching the monitor's. Jeremy headed for the hallway and told me to follow. He paused at the last room on the left, punched a series of numbers on the keypad. The metal door slid into the wall and we walked inside the large room. The right half, a fancy office, a bed, and bathroom on the other. Jeremy pressed a button and the door slid shut. Nothing's getting through that and we got enough food and booze in here to make it through the winter. Good to know. But they're expecting me for dinner. He walked around the black marble desk and eased into his chair, poured himself a large gray goose on the rocks. He raised his glass toward the seat across from him. Come and join me. I said I was fine. So how is Lily? I could hear the old hurt when he said, she starts school yet? One more year before kindergarten, but I'm guessing she'll be homeschooled. I hoped he knew it was Danielle who cut him off. She's getting big. He took a swig and said, I bet. There were three movie posters on the wall, mounted by the Messiah. The Messiah always comes twice, and the power and the glory whole. Jeremy saw where I was looking and opened a drawer, handed me three DVD cases. On the back of mounted, there were stills including a giant baptismal tub, a hot nurse, and a strip club. He said, I would have asked you to take the starring role if you weren't married to my sister. I turned over the other two and took it all in, and I might have said yes. Jimmy put the cases away and said, "'So what's up? Why are you here?' He smiled to show he was joking when he said, "'Not another letter from your lawyer. Fuck, I don't know where to start. You need money? Why'd you think that?' That's usually why strangers reappear. If I'm right, I'd need a lot more money than you could lend us, and I'd never be able to pay it back. "'Why don't you just ask Charles? Have you seen how much your little city has cost in the church? They say it's going to be complete by Christmas in time for your baptism.' That's what they say. Jeremy held up a finger. Hold on. Write about that. Spit it out. I wasn't sure how much I could trust him, but figured I didn't have much to lose. What do you know about the church? No, no, like everything. Jeremy had often hinted at things, referred to them evil more than once. I said, yeah, I need to know what I'm part of. We both knew he could have made a sarcastic remark about it. Taken so fucking long for me to ask, but he just said, You've got to sit then. He topped off his drink and poured one for me. You'll want this. Jeremy woke his computer and asked, So is there something specific you're looking for? You only want facts? I sipped the vodka and forced myself to sit back. Everything. I want to hear what you know. You mean like that Charles is one scary son of a bitch? That he would do absolutely anything to spread his religion? Yeah, like that. Jeremy clicked away. I've got so much shit on here, I'm guessing the beginning is probably the best place. I took another sip, waited for him to begin. I had my suspicions about him before I even met you, just like everyone else when someone starts saying crazy things, but then I met you and you gave us that sign. I thought maybe I could see why you believed what he did, even if it was pretty nuts. "'What were you suspicious of?' "'Jammy turned the screen so I could see. "'A mugshot of Paul as a teenager, his nose leaning left. "'Your brother's juvie record, which didn't come cheap,' he pointed at the text. "'Arrested for stealing a cross. "'This one's vandalism of a church's rectory. "'You think father made him?' "'Of course he did.' This kind of shit had been happening around our area as far back as I can remember. Broken windows, nails and tires, sugar and gas tanks, crosses cut down. I bet my ass Charles was behind nearly all of it. I didn't realize I'd had another drink until I sat down my empty glass. A new image popped on the screen. You remember this guy? I couldn't place the guy at first, but I'd seen those eyes locked on mine. Focused, not fearful. From the hospital in County, the next night, even though he had a guard at the door. You feel sorry for him? Did anyone ever tell you he was a member of the Charlotte church? I shook my head. Didn't like where this was headed. A video clicked on of an attack on a Huntsville church that had gone viral. None of the men in black ever arrested. Jeremy pointed to the third guy on the left. That's him right there. Who? The driver? Yep. How can you tell? Because I filmed it. Are you serious? Charles said it wasn't hurting anyone but ourselves, and if the government could use false flags, then why shouldn't we? Jamie saw I wasn't getting it and said, it was just a ploy to erase sympathy and draw attention, but that dude was there. He was, he was a believer. You think he was just following Charles 316 when he hit me? That I don't know, but I bet they put him up to it. That's what happened to the guy who rushed you leaving the church. But Paul was there too. Yeah, he sure was. You weren't surprised how brave Paul was standing up to a guy with a machete? You thought I just got lucky capturing the right angle. Why didn't you tell me? It was my job. They wanted it to be a natural reaction. No one ever expected you'd kill the guy, but I bet that's what would have happened to him anyhow, just like the other fuckface. The words sounded ridiculous coming out of my mouth. You think they tried to kill me? Well, definitely not that first time. That was just promotion. Jammy turned to the computer, put a clip of my assassination attempt, pausing it a second before the gunman took aim. And I don't think you were ever the real target on this. You just ducked into that bullet. That's crazy. The gun was aimed at Dwight's face, never wavering before the bullet blasted through his brain. Jammy said, One guess what church he belonged to. Oh, that would have been all over the news. Jammy shook his head. Who do you think controls the news? But well, Why try with the car, but not the other times? Why why, Dwight? You were a liability before, but now you're the golden boy doing what you're told. I got no idea about Dwight, but I'm guessing he pissed off the wrong person or saw the wrong thing. Jammy filled both our glasses, took a big swig, and said, And people think I'm the sick fuck. Everything felt kind of numb, but not from the booze. Hey, you all right? I finally knew something Jeremy didn't, but I was too ashamed to tell him. i have been sitting on the information for nearly a month. "'You know anything about the flu?' Jeremy sat up. "'Like what?' "'Like who's behind it.' "'You're shitting me. I wish I was.' I took the papers from my back pocket. Hated my hand was shaken when I unfolded them. Jeremy laid the papers on his desk. "'What's this?' "'Proof. A proposal I found on Father's computer.' "'These numbers?' "'That row is uh, estimates in life, entirely way too low across the board. "'And this? The revenue to be collected. "'I've no way of knowing what the real numbers turned out to be.' "'Holy shit!' Jammy collapsed in his chair, finished his drink. "'I did the same. "'The news made the government look like the good guys, "'clearing all the bodies and taking over the housing. "'The inheritance law alone must have already brought in billions. "'There's no way!' Jamie's fingers flew across his keypad.' As much as I hate him, I also respect his intelligence, but there's no way he could pull it off. With Burkhardt in his pocket? Jeremy shook his head. He wasn't president yet. This is what handed it to him. Every liberal state was wiped out. But how? No idea. But I heard Paul call Father a killer. Watched Father beat him down until he said he was sorry. Oh, shit. Jeremy double-clicked the photo. Recognize this guy? Burkhardt's buddy at Myrtle Beach. Yeah, he's also the Secretary of Health. I took a big breath and blew it out. You see why I need money? I see why you can't ask Charles. Jamie. I'm fucking scared. We all are. We need to get out. Have you thought of when and where? No. We need the how first. It has to be enough so we never have to come back. He thought about it for a second. All right, this shouldn't be hard. "'Any famous motherfucker can make money.' "'Jammy closed his eyes and steepled his fingers, "'bowed his head and lightly tapped forehead to fingers again and again. "'After a minute or so, his eyes popped open. "'I think I got it. "'It's going to be this Christmas's number one wish list item. "'What is it?' "'He asked how my hands were "'and mumbled something about me doing a, a little wet work. "'I thought you were all against that. "'Why would I care?' Whispering in case someone had found a way to listen in, I said, Wet works killing someone right would he said slowly, Wood work I said, oh, yeah, that should be no problem. Jammy said, Let me figure this out. Give me a week." It only took Jeremy five days to figure everything out, but it took me ten to convince Danielle this was our best option and that we were running out of time. She hadn't said a word the whole ride to the north side of town, which wasn't surprising with Troy sitting across from me, his eyes constantly shifting from one window to the other. Troy caught me staring, sounded curious when he asked what we had planned. Danielle looked beautiful, her hair tied back tight in a ponytail, bright red lipstick to match her blouse. She acted like it hadn't been three years since she spoke to Jeremy and said, Oh, we're going to film something with my brother. He looked at the rows of warehouses on either side. Why not in the white room? Making it sound less like an interrogation. He said, doing some outdoor scenes? I said, I'm not sure what he has in mind, just that it's top secret. Choi gave his two-second courtesy chuckle and held his earpiece. Roger that. We slowed and made a left into a parking lot that was empty except for Jeremy's Humvee and a sleek lime green sports car. Twenty yards from the building, we came to a stop, the car idling. Danielle squeezed my hand, hot enough to hurt. He's not one of ours, Troy said. That his man? He wasn't asking me, but I, I looked out and saw Hank standing a few feet from the warehouse's front door, his hand on the butt of his holstered pistol. Yep, he's one of Jeremy's. Troy spoke into his cuff mic and rogered something else. Air support says there's a guy on the rooftop with an AR-15. I said, it's fine. He's jammies. Troy glanced at me. You can't even see him. Well, I, I'm guessing if it was a bad guy, him and Hank would have been shooting it out by now. Troy told Randall to pull up close to the door and the others to keep an eye on the roof. Randall got out the front, spoke with Hank, and then opened our door. Troy joined him and leaned back in to say it was all clear, like we couldn't have figured that out. Hank assured Troy everything was under control and told him they were welcome to wait in the car. He opened the warehouse door for us and said Jeremy was inside. The lobby was nothing like I'd expected. Everything white and sparkly, a purple neon JL Productions sign on the wall behind the counter. Trying to cheer Hank up, I said, "'What, no pat-down?' Getting sloppy, his smile unnerved me. Against my wishes, boss said you are to be completely trusted. Hold on, Jeremy said from the doorway, his foot propping the door open. I didn't say her. Hank apologized and asked Danielle to turn around. Right before her tears let loose, Jeremy said, I'm just fucking around. Glad to see you, sis. Danielle kind of smiled. Good to see you, too. I didn't think you'd be joining us. It didn't sound like it was going to be a problem, but I didn't want her saying the wrong thing and causing an argument. I said, We both felt better about it. She said, Figure we're in this thing together till death do us and all that. Where's Lily? Please tell me you didn't bring her too. Danielle said, Janet's watching her. Is she a guard? Danielle said, Lily loves her. I said, I said, because she lets her watch TV and play her electronics. Jeremy studied me when he asked, "'You trust her with your daughter?' I hadn't told Danielle all the stuff I'd learned, because it would have paralyzed her with fear. So he'd drop it. I said, "'Janet's great. "'Trained killers do make for some wonderful friends. "'Ain't that right, Hank?' Hank grunted, and Jeremy held the door all the way open. "'Then let's do this. "'We've got an exit plan to finance.' The warehouse was huge, storage and props lining the outside walls, three small movie sets in the middle, hospital room with a bed, office with a desk and couch, bathroom with a sink, a stall, and holes in the wall. Jeremy said, when we started, we we didn't have any of the fancy stuff. Hell, we had to roll the one bed from set to set. Danielle said, "You, We changed the sheets. I asked if he owned the building. Cost next to nothing. Jamie saw where I was looking. Yeah, it goes all the way back. We've got another three sets facing that way. Danielle asked, What will you do with it? We turned the corner. I spotted the baptismal tub against the wall and was glad when Jamie distracted Danielle by pointing toward the last set. That's ours, as far as this place. I'd probably sell what I can, then torch the rest. I said, Seems a little extreme. Jamie stopped at the last set. I'll make sure everyone's out. Hi there, a voice cracked from the set. It looked like a teenage girl's bedroom. The blonde on the bed and the pink G-string looking way more like a mom. Her fake tits lumped up like she'd stuffed them full of rocks. Making a point of staring at my body, she licked the lips and said, Wow. Easy, tiger, Jeremy told her. Why don't you slip on your outfit while I go over some things with them? To me, Jeremy said, Please tell me you brought them. Three of them didn't know what color or size would look best. Danielle opened her oversized purse and pulled a 12-inch long black mahogany crucifix, a 9-inch rosewood, and 6-inch ash. Each of their bases had been smoothed down into dildos. My initials etched deep. Jeremy inspected them and kissed the round tip of the red one. I love it, he gave Danielle a sly look and said, you didn't use these, did you? Her expression didn't change, her eyes on the blonde slipping on the scarlet robe. Let's not do this today. I told Jeremy I was a little worried about how long it was going to take to finish the entire order. I don't know how the hell Charles does it. He used to carve all the time and never complain, but I just did these three and I had to take four aspirin to take away the ache in both hands. Probably the type of wood... Regardless of what we use in this, we'll put in the fine print. They'll get whatever we have. Selection starting with highest bidders to lowest. Danielle said, I don't like this. I followed her gaze to the blonde stretched out on the bed. The gown bunched up so we could see she'd already ditched the G string. I don't think any of us do, but we're talking a thousand for each one. That's just the starting bid, Jeremy reminded us. We do a good job here, and I bet we'll average five times as much. Danielle's head kept slowly shaking, so soft that I had to lean in to hear she say, No, not with her. She's gross. Jeremy's still over hood. No, we already agreed. She's got to do. I shut the place down for this. I couldn't find anyone better for our time frame. This is it. I said, I'm not even going to touch her. I looked at Jeremy. Right Totally. You're just going to stand there. I mean, maybe rest your hand on her. You said, Danielle cut me off. I'll do it. No one said a word. She was serious. Her face set. I'll be better than that whore. Jamie said, no way. Craig's paying for the commercial, not your crosses. This commercial as well will make these bad boys worth so much. Exactly, Danielle said. You want people thinking they're going to catch syphilis with these things? That's what I'd be thinking. Jeremy said, "'You're just being jealous.' "'I don't know, man. "'Maybe she's got a point. "'I'd be way more natural if I can be next to her.' "'I don't want to film you,' Danielle chuckled. "'What's happened to you? "'This place give you morals?' "'Jeremy said, "'We are planning on running two versions, R and X.' "'Her face didn't waver. "'That's what brought us together.' "'She looked at me and said, "'I'll do whatever it takes.' To keep it that way. Jeremy said, Fine, we'll try. One hour. If we can't get it done, we bring her back in. Agreed? I said I'd do anything Danielle wanted. She told me to get changed and for Jeremy to get rid of the skank. He asked, You think that robe will fit you all right? Yuck, I'm not even trying. Don't worry, just give me the script in five minutes. I walked Danielle to the bathroom while Jeremy went over to the blonde. Her frown turned into a smile, and she slid off the bed, gave him a huge hug, and headed for the front. I asked Jamie what he told her. "'Where I keep my coke?' Jamie walked around the set's wall and came back with a black cloak that looked identical to the one I wore for church. He handed it over and said, "'Might be tight. You saw the dude that played you. You wash it?' "'It's fine,' Jamie arranged the crucifixes on the nightstand." Just don't wear it anywhere near a black light. I started to slide it over my head, but he stopped me and said, ''Take off your shirt. We don't want anything showing at the collar.'' The cloak was snug across my shoulders, tied against my chest. Jeremy said, ''Fuck yeah, that looks even cooler.'' I pretended I wasn't shaking inside and walked onto the set, stood beside the bed. ''This good?'' Jeremy was giving me a thumbs up when Danielle came around the corner, walking with a purpose, wearing nothing but a purple negligee I'd never seen. He said, Oh, shit. Danielle said, Not a word, Jeremy. Just record. Don't make a sound. He nodded and got behind the camera. It's red light blinking. I stayed where I was, didn't know what to say. Our sex life had been all but eradicated after Lily's birth. I love making more of a monthly chore done in the dark. Sexy negligees never playing a part. Danielle stepped onto the set and took my hands, looked up at me. Just go with it, she said. This is for us. I said I'd do my best. She turned me, so we both faced the camera. With one hand on my shoulder, the other on my chest, Danielle spoke to the camera in her sexiest voice. Ladies, let's not lie. We've all wondered what it's like, pleasured by a god. Danielle turned me so my back was to the camera and eased off my cloak, letting it fall to the floor. Her right hand traced my tattooed cross, while her left hand made a cross over my chest, suddenly undoing her negligee and letting it fall. But only one of us knows what it's really like to be filled with the power and the glory of the Messiah. My hard-on was pushing out the front of my jeans, and I prayed she wouldn't turn me back around. Danielle ran a hand down my stomach and undid my top button, her eyes on the camera, her nipples just as hard as me. The only problem is that the Messiah can't be home all day. What's a girl to do? Keeping her hand on my jeans, Danielle crawled onto the bed completely naked and pulled me so my leg was up against it. She popped another button free and said, When I can't have the real thing, there's only one substitute. She reached across the bed and picked up the rosewood crucifix, held it up for the camera. She freed the third button, my hard arm begging to be touched, her thigh pushing against my hand as she spread her legs. I wrapped my head around the inside of her leg to keep it in place. Impressed, she could remember the sales pitch. My last button popped open and Danielle wrapped her hand around me, made the sexiest purr as she accepted the crucifix. Her hands maintained a slow rhythm that matched her voice. When she said, just as there was only one Messiah, there was only one dildo approved by him. Sounding completely natural and letting the oos and ahs punctuate her speech, Danielle said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Only a limited number of blessed crucifixes inscribed by the second son will be auctioned off. Danielle pulled the crucifix from her, showed why she hadn't needed any lube. Knowing that was the end of the scene, I leaned over and placed a gentle kiss on her lips. You were great. The crucifix went back to the nightstand, her hand still wrapped around me. Come here. It sounded just like she said it when she wanted to fuck. But that was crazy with her brother there, and I stalled. I need Jeremy to... Help me film one last thing. I want to tell the world what I really think. She opened her leg even further and put it behind my back. Used it to turn me toward the bed. With her arms around my neck, she pulled me closer and said, Okay, but after. I need you. I turned to the camera, the red light off. Jeremy, nowhere to be seen. It was two weeks from Christmas and the day Father had planned my rebirth. A glorious baptism that would put me in the minds of every person on earth. But we had different plans. The four of us were getting on a private airplane in less than 10 hours. The commercial set to air another 10 after we landed safely in Barcelona. Back when we thought I'd fly right through the crucifixes, Craig said we should release the commercial early. We were sitting on a gold mine. Thinking about how much an extra week could potentially increase the bids made me consider it, but I couldn't risk deviating from the plan. I was in the office, sitting at my desk, gripping the black walnut crucifix so I could etch my initials into the fattest part of the rounded base. Getting started with the hardest part, the tip of the knife pressing just hard enough to indent the wood, the long stroke down, curved at the bottom, the line across the top to finish the J, the small curve of my C, my hands a little jittery from all the coffee and lack of sleep. An inch below my initials, I carved a nine, then an eight. I was finishing the two when a blob of sweat splashed off the crucifix and the knife jumped, digging a line across my nail and biting into the quick. God damn it, it's like a 90 degrees in here. Can someone turn that down? I held my hand and wrapped my finger with a rag. There was blood on the crucifix, but I didn't bother wiping it off. I rubbed it into the number like in the way it looked i undid the towel and stained nine more crucifixes placing the tiny drops of blood instead of check marks on my master sheet the bleeding stopped on its own 18 more to go three more hours if i rushed only problem was the pain in my right palm the arthritis a spear through my impalement pulsing like the hole had never closed I put each of the anointed crosses in an individual bubble-wrapped sleeves and set them in the box next to my chair. I was shaking out my hands, flexing my fingers when Troy spoke on the intercom. Excuse me, sir. I have a caller on line one. I opened the blind to let in some fresh light. From this side of the house, I could see down the hill three separate Charles 316s painted on top of neighboring roofs in large white letters. To the right was our circular driveway with the fountain in the middle, a massive gate that could only be opened with the correct code or approval from the guest house where Troy sat behind the desk. When I picked up the handset, I noticed he'd only paged the office. Did they give a name? Said his name was Craig. Wouldn't say who he was with, but said he's a partner of yours. I looked at the remaining crucifixes. Did you tell him I was in? No, Sir. "'Said I was checked. Want me to get rid of him?' "'I thought about it a second and then told Troy I'd get it. "'I pressed line one and said, "'You shouldn't be calling this number.' "'Well, you should answer your cell. "'It'll be ready, just like I said. "'Not like you originally said. That was last week. "'I'm practically done. Eighteen to go. "'Good. They'll have to be mailed the second the bidding's over "'or there are going to be some angry people with nothing under their Christmas tree. "'Your delay cost us a fortune.' I went as fast as I could. They'll be ready. You thought any more about what I said? I looked at the stacks of giant mailbags in front of the bookcase, proof of how screwed up the world had become. Nope, this is it, I said, loving how true those words felt hanging up to make them final. The crucifixes had to be finished, but I needed a break. I picked up the stack of letters, not many left. I almost hit the intercom, but a terrible thought stopped me. I didn't touch a thing and just said, Hey, Troy. Troy looked to his left where they kept all the monitors. He didn't talk, so I spoke again. Can you hear me? He looked over and nodded. It was hard to read his expression. I picked up the phone and pressed his extension. Sorry about that, Troy said. That feature isn't supposed to be activated. Someone must have hit it by mistake. Why is that feature even there? In case a client needs assistance but can't reach a phone, some people insist on it. I always got my phone on me, so do me a favor and keep it off. Yes, sir. Anything else? I didn't want it looking like I had just called him to give him a hard time. Has the mail been sorted yet? I got it a little while ago, but I'll have it to you within the half hour. That'd be great. I'd appreciate it if you can bring in whatever you have. Hate mail as well. Threat assessment team is most of it, but I'll bring what I can. I hung up the phone, my stomach tied in a knot. I wondered just how long that button had been pressed. I replayed all the conversations Danielle and I had whispered, all the ones we hadn't been as careful with. It was too late to worry about it. I took out the first letter and set the stack next to my knife. The first was alt death, the second one too, both in the shredder before I finished reading. The third said they pitied me. Only wished me the best. The fourth said he, too, had a daughter. There was movement behind me. Everything slowed. And I spun around, ready to attack. Lily laughed as she pointed. Got you! Made you jump! I swallowed my reaction to yell out of embarrassment. You got me, but remember, honey, you got to be careful sneaking up on daddy. I pretended to bop her head and said, I might have turned around and bonked you. She reached for the letters. I want to help. I grabbed Lily's hand and put it by her side. Remember what I said about Daddy's office. There's sharp stuff in here. It's not a place to play. Lily's hand went back to the letters that were just inches from the knife. I slapped it away before she cut herself. Lily, what did I say? She lowered her head. Sorry. I hadn't hit her hard, but I hated myself for doing what I swore I would never would. Shouldn't you be taking a nap? I'm having a hard time sleeping. Well, I'm working, so I can't play right now. I want to go to the park. It's too cold, sweetie. I want to go. Then go ask Janet. The stress and lack of sleep was making me a grouch. Why isn't she playing with you? Getting lunch from outside? I pulled back the blind. Janet was talking to Raymond outside the guest house. Lily got on her tiptoes. Could just barely see over the sill. She said, Janet said I was silly. I closed the blind. And I agree. Because I hid all my clothes. I looked at Lily, found it hard to breathe. Wait, what? She said I was silly. All my drawers are empty. I didn't say fuck, but I was screaming it. We'd packed ahead of time. Figured it was safer than someone walking in on us packing. Did she say anything else? We played treasure hunt. No, no, about the clothes. Did she say anything about the clothes? Lily got a huge smile. You're silly. That's what I said. A treasure hunt. We found them in the closet. I picked up Lily and hugged her tight so she couldn't see my face. Oh, I am silly. Danielle appeared in the doorway and said, So we're going to the park? I knew how nervous Danielle had to be, but she was hiding it well. If I told her what Lily had just said, I feared she would lose it. You really want to go? Danielle looked lighter, like some of that worry had been lifted. She said, it'll be fun. I pointed at the stack of crucifixes. I've got to finish all these in the next six hours. You've been working nonstop, Danielle said. How about a little break for all of us? And honestly, he won't cancel payment if you're a few short. I couldn't see it mattering at this point. If we went out for a little play date, it'd only ease suspicions. Who cared if we'd packed a bunch of clothes? We'll need a driver. I already took care of it. Troy said he'd have someone here in ten minutes. I picked up number 983. Okay, let me get one more. Lily cheered. Yeah, Daddy! Danielle said, You'll probably want to change. I finished the J and was starting to see when my hand slipped and I grazed my thumb. I sounded just like Father when I said, We'll go when I'm done. Danielle took Lily's hand. Come with me, sweetheart. We need to get dressed. I finished the crucifix and checked it off when Lily called from the hallway. We're ready, Lily had on her peak snow pants and matching cap bopping a giant red balloon in the air. I turned back and noticed movement on the monitor, a car at the front gate. I waited for either a phone call or the car to be sent away. When the front gate opened, Troy gave the driver of the small Toyota his practiced nod. The car drove forward out of sight, just the trunk visible on the driveway camera. I figured it was a delivery and got it from my desk, set the knife high. The doorbell rang, and from upstairs, Danielle said, ''I got it.'' I took my sweatshirt off the back of the door and put it on. Troy didn't call. Danielle's shoes clicked down the stairs. ''It's probably the driver.'' ''No, he isn't one of theirs.'' The doorbell rang again, and Lily sang, ''Ding dong, ding dong.'' I put on my boots as Danielle opened the door, her body between me and the bearded man, a gust of cold wind blowing past them. "'Afternoon, ma'am,' the man said, no question he was from the deep south. "'Is your husband in?' I locked the office door and started down the hallway. Lily said, "'Daddy, can we go?' I wanted her out of the way, so I pointed to the shoe cubby to the left of the door. "'Yeah, go get your shoes on.' Lily did as I said, and Danielle showed the man inside. The guy's face was fat at the bottom and narrow at the top, bald except for a couple of clumps of hair slicked over. He gave a crooked smile and closed the door behind him. Thank you so much. It's awful cold out there. His face registered. The eyes crazed with joy. The scribbled signature scrawled below his Polaroid. as warning, it'd be the last face I'd see. I ran down the hallway. Run, Lily, run. Lily was down on her bottom, struggling with her shoe. One minute. Danielle backed up a step. The man shed his thick jacket and said, Forgive me, father, for I have sinned. I was nearly to them, the high table my last chance. I shouted at my girls to get down and grabbed hold of the table, held it in front of me as I leapt toward Lily. Everything flashed white. Then went black.